I'm Patrick Smith, in for Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. We're heading into a presidential election year. The Illinois primary is just two and a half months away. Chicago is hosting the Democratic National Convention this summer. And the longest serving State House speaker in modern U.S. history, Mike Madigan, goes on trial. That's all to say 2024 is going to be a big year for Chicago politics. So we sat down with WBEZ city politics reporters Tessa Weinberg and Mariah Wolfel to get a preview of what's in store. We started off by talking about the racketeering charges against ex-Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan and his upcoming trial this spring. I asked Mariah how big of a deal the Madigan trial is. Here's Mariah. Yeah, I mean, I would say you and I don't even have to argue it. You know, <laughs> it's he, he, his footprint, his his fingerprint is all over Illinois politics and the state as we know it now. And so I would say this is the biggest corruption trial in modern history. It's certainly the biggest one that um, I've seen in my short time covering Illinois and sh- city politics. Um, and he's charged of racketeering and bribery. You know, this racketeering charge is typically saved for high-ranking leaders of gangs, um, and we've seen it being used on politicians, including uh, former Chicago alderman Ed Burke, who just was convicted on this charge. Um, and so this is a big deal, and it's going to dominate springtime for Illinois state politics reporters. I have done my time in the federal <laughs> courthouse already by covering the Burke trial, so our state house reporters will be all over the story. You're not going back to the Dirksen for this one? I, I will not be there. So, so Tessa, I mean— Considering how many politicians and former lawmakers and officials we've had go to trial, it's kind of a big deal that Mariah here is saying this is the biggest one in history. Do you agree? You know, he Madigan's among four, 12 former House and Senate members to have faced federal charges in the past decade. And so it's hard to kind of rank corruption. But like Mariah said, I think it's hugely significant. I think it was interesting, too, in the ComEd trial um, in the case of bribery convictions against executives and lobbyists there, jurors, you know, they still pointed back to Madigan and they said, you know, they really believed he was kind of the impetus for even why ComEd executives acted the way they did. You know, one juror, you know, they put it that it was their perception that Madigan really caused all this to happen, um, that if it wasn't for him, people would not have been in a position to act the way they did and, you know, commit this corruption. So I think it's, you know, interesting that even in these related cases, people are pointing back to Madigan as the source of kind of this corruption we've seen just continue. Yeah. So 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 his he loomed over Illinois for decades. Recently, he's been looming over these corruption trials. Mariah, you mentioned the charges he's facing, you know, racketeering. But I wonder if you could walk us through a little bit the scheme that that prosecutors say Madigan, you know, was in charge of essentially and why he's he's facing trial. Yeah. So he's charged in a 22 count indictment and it really just accuses him of for nearly a decade leading this criminal enterprise for the sole purpose of enhancing Madigan's finances, making him rich and uh, increasing his political power. And so he's accused of, um, you know, forcing businesses, including the utility company ComEd, as Tessa mentioned, um, to make payments to Madigan and his associates um, as a reward for their loyalty to Madigan um, at times, you know, in return for very little, um, but wielding his power to increase for personal gain. I should say Madigan is due back in court tomorrow for a hearing. His attorneys are asking for his trial date to be pushed back right now. It's set to start in April. They're asking for that to be delayed. 
whether they're successful or not in that, Tessa, it's going to be months until we get to the trial. You know, Madigan is right now just accused. But a lawmaker in Springfield wants to ban Madigan's portrait from the Capitol. Tessa, can you tell us what's going on there? Yeah, so Republican State Rep. Ryan Spain, he's proposed legislation to bar a portrait from Madigan from being hung anywhere in the State House. Um, you know, throughout the Illinois House, there is paintings of six past speakers, including Republican George Ryan, who did go on to serve time in federal prison. Mm-hmm. Um And there's been no movement on this legislation, as our colleague Dave McKinney reports. Um, And House Speaker Chris Welch's spokesperson even called the idea, you know, a special form of hypocrisy, noting that um, George Ryan's portrait hangs there. Um, So we'll see, you know, what happens with that and, you know, whether Madigan will get to grace the halls of the State House. I mean, if we set a precedent like this, we might not have any portraits in the State House at all (laughs) in the future. Uh, Mariah, you already mentioned Ed Burke. Madigan served 36 years as the powerful Illinois House Speaker. He's not the longest-serving local politician to face corruption charges. That was former Chicago Alderman Ed Burke, who served a half-century in the city council. Right before sort of our holiday break, your holiday break, he was convicted on bribery, racketeering, and extortion charges. When's his sentencing? His sentencing is currently scheduled for June 19th. That will likely be um, rescheduled because that's a federal holiday. um, And I think that was a mistake. But sometime in June. And, you know, if you add up like everything that he was accused of, it adds up to something like a maximum of 120 years in prison or something like that. Obviously, that is not what he's going to be sentenced to. Um, The most serious charge racketeering comes with a maximum sentence of 20 years. Um, The last public official that this judge sentenced um, was a city hall insider with much less clout and power than Burke had, and she sentenced him to 10 years in federal prison. And so um, this is, you know, does come with the threat of serious prison time, and, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens in June. We've been seeing many stories about states debating whether to keep former President Donald Trump on their 2024 primary election ballots. For the time being, Trump is off in Maine and Colorado. Tessa, is that something that Illinois is, is grappling with at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our colleague Dave McKinney, he reported back in September that the Illinois State Board of Elections, you know, says they were also getting lots of questions from citizens about whether, you know, this could happen in Illinois, whether Trump could be barred. Um, but the State Board of Elections says it's actually not their call. It would be something that the Illinois judiciary would ultimately have to decide because it's a constitutional issue fundamentally. Um, and so, they, you know, these groups have pointed to the 14th Amendment um, in the Constitution that says someone would be ineligible to become president if they had previously sworn an oath to protect the Constitution, but then, you know, later engaged in efforts to undermine that very mm-hmm. Constitution. Um, and Illinois Supreme Court, you know, is a Democratic majority, and that's something watchdog groups have pointed to that, you know, maybe Illinois could be a friendly place to try this strategy out, but we haven't actually seen it progress to the level it has in other states so far. Interesting. So I'm sure that that people here in Illinois, like, like around the country, will be watching what happens with the Maine and Colorado decisions. Uh, that primary we're talking about, it's coming up fast, March 19th. Mariah... Beyond president, remind us what voters are going to be weighing in on this this primary election. Well, you have congressional races, so you'll vote for your congressperson. You have countywide races, like the Cook County State's attorney race um, that's heating up. And then you also have, in Chicago, a citywide referendum um, that will be on the ballot asking voters whether they want to increase the transfer tax on the sale of properties over a million dollars to pay for— homeless prevention. And so that's a big one for city residents and they'll be getting mailers about it and um, should be, you know, thinking about what they want to 
vote for on that March I, ballot. And you were expecting a big political push behind behind that referendum, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I think they're starting to get canvas work. Um, you know, the the proponents of the real estate transfer tax increase are starting to to get out, uh, knock on doors, and real estate lobbyists who oppose the tax are, have also been sending out mailers for the past few months. And so I think that's it. this is really going to start to um, kick into high gear in the next month or two. So when I'm not filling in for Sasha here on Reset, I'm WBEZ's criminal justice editor, and I'm keeping an eye on the Cook County State's Attorney's race that, that you just mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, the race to be top prosecutor here in Cook County. I think that that's something that will be watched nationally to sort of see what it says about the criminal justice reform movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, State's Attorney Kim Fox's election uh, was seen as, as one of the major moments in the movement to elect uh, so-called progressive prosecutors. Fox is not seeking a third term. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm a little bit surprised. I wonder what you guys think that 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 the people who are running in the Democratic primary to, to replace her, Justice Eileen O'Neill-Burke and then uh, Clayton Harris III, who has the Democratic uh, Party's endorsement, they're both kind of relative unknowns here. I, Tess, I wonder if you're surprised at all that we're not seeing any bigger names get into this race. No, I mean, it's a high profile position. I think Fox, you know, face, you know, very high stakes in that role. So maybe it's not surprising that we're seeing newcomers maybe try and take a stab. People may be saying that's not something I really want to get into right now. I'm also curious to see, you know, what this might mean for the new state's attorney's relationship with the mayor. You know, Fox had a rocky relationship with Mayor Lightfoot. So it'll be interesting, I think, to see how this position maybe meshes with, you know, the city's leadership as well. Certainly an an issue in a race that I'll I'll be watching closely. Uh, Beyond these local races that we're talking about, Chicago's going to be on the national stage this summer when the Democratic National Convention takes place here. Planning's already underway. Uh, what can people expect? I mean, this is a mu- massive undertaking for the city, right? Yeah, this is going to be huge. Um, you know, the city has to start thinking about everything from how to make sure the CTA is running. You know, pe- delegates are going to be staying um, at hotels across the city and needing to get to the United Center on time and safely. And so um, working on making CTA run more smoothly, making sure um, I, I'm sure that city leaders are thinking about what development and, you know, street improvements and streetscape improvements look like around the United Center, which is, you know, the DNC has promised that um, the, the the development will be outside and the activity will be outside of the epicenter of the United Center, trying to get delegates out into all Chicago 77 neighborhoods. But um, what improvements are going to be made to the area around the United Center and how will that, you know, spur economic development for the residents around that area as well. So there's a lot to think about and look forward to um, before August. The ongoing migrant crisis is going to serve as a backdrop for the DNC. We saw hundreds more migrants arrive in Illinois over the holidays, some of them on planes. What's the latest and how the Johnson administration here in Chicago, Mayor Brandon Johnson, is addressing the influx of migrants and, and where they should be housed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just in the recent you know, few weeks, we've seen you know, Texas officials charter private planes to send hundreds of migrants, wow. um, which was the first time the city has said it's ever seen something like that happen. You know, it's happened twice already in recent weeks. The city um, did say our colleagues at the Sun-Times reported that they are anticipating to shift $95 million in federal relief funds to go, go toward helping the crisis. But, you know, city officials noted this is mostly to cover expenses that have already been incurred and they've continued to beat the drum calling for federal help. They joined mayors of New York City and Denver to issue those calls. Um, but, you know, we see that officials in other states like Texas are only continuing to escalate their efforts and pretty, you know, rapidly. Um, so it kind of remains to be seen of, you know, 
whether these calls for more federal aid are going to be enough when the city is just facing this reality of still, you know, while it's trying to not rely on places like police stations, just having hundreds of people without a place to go right now. Yeah, I mean, obviously the most important thing when we're talking about this issue is is safe and, and good housing for, for people and, you know, what it means for the city's finances. There's also the political, I mean, this obviously sending migrants here is a political act. As you're talking about, Tessa, that there's speculation that governors like Greg Abbott of Texas are going to send more and more migrants to Chicago ahead of the DNC to wreak havoc and make Democrats look bad on national TV. Politically, how big of a concern is this for, for local politicians like Mayor Johnson or, or national Democratic politicians? Yeah, I mean, I think this is, you know, a wedge issue within the Democratic Party. I think, you know, we're seeing local elected officials at a city level really putting up the ante and calling on federal officials to step up, you know, within the Democratic Party. So I think there's political repercussions there. And at the same time, you know, I think it's really led to a lot of finger pointing between city, county, federal, state officials, but also, for example, after the the death of a recent migrant boy in a city shelter, you know, there's no one really kind of taking ownership for that. You know, Mayor Johnson pointed to Texas officials and the conditions they've created, leading to people showing up sick when they come to the city. But then the day, you know, it's real people living in these conditions in their lives that are, you know, ultimately at stake in this. And so I think, you know, there's been a lot of political fallout and repercussions as well as we see people kind of punt the blame of how much ownership they take over this. That is WBEZ's Tessa Weinberg. We've also been speaking with Mariah Wolfel, two of the best politics reporters in the city of Chicago. We've been talking about the biggest Chicago political stories that they're watching in 2024. Great talking with both of you. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks. This podcast was produced by Brenda Ruiz. It was edited by Dan Tucker and Ethan Schwab. If you like this conversation, share it with a friend. Hit subscribe or write us a review. It helps listeners like you find us. I'm Patrick Smith, in for Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks so much for listening. We'll speak soon. We'll speak soon.